0: All right, here we go. Hey, Chris, welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. Uh, Thanks for having me, Warren. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is going to be good. Dutch Clark, I think there are several football fans or, you know, a lot of football fans who have heard of Dutch Clark uh, and just as many who've never heard of him. But even those who have might not know just how good a football player he was. So let's start off with a really big question. If you can give me a brief synopsis of who Dutch Clark was.
2: Okay. Uh, uh, I think when you look at, I think last year with the NFL's 100th season, I think he fits in with that discussion of who might have been the greatest two-way player of all time. And, and Dutch would be on that short list. And that would probably, like you said, would surprise some people uh, that his name would be up there. But when you look at what he did, um, you know, I, I believe it was six All-Pros in, in his seven full seasons and um, you know, won a championship with the Lions. It was just a great all-around player. Uh, I think he's in that discussion of, of probably, you know, the, the three or four names of, of the greatest two-way players of that era, it's tough to compare, you know, to to the 50s and the 60s, and to, to, to today's players, you know, for, with those two-way guys. But um, so just to put in a brief sort of, you know, little analyst uh, analyzing him is, is that he was probably the most well-rounded, gifted two-way player, you know, of that era, you know, of that first probably two decades of the NFL. You know, he could do everything. He could he could run. He could pass. He could kick. He could punt. He could play defense, and uh, he could be uh, probably the greatest leader uh, you know um, that was on on the football field. I, I know there was a quote that I remember seeing on Dutch of by Clark Shaughnessy, the uh, the old college football Hall of Fame coach who was uh, instrumental in the T formation. He said, if um, if Jim Thorpe, uh, George Gipp. Uh, and Ernie Nevers were in the same backfield with Dutch Clark, Dutch Clark would be the general, you know, wow. that's, that, that's wow. how th- he thought of him. And so, you know, uh, so it was sort of that sort of brief thing is he was probably, like I said, he's one of the three or four names I think is up there as probably the greatest two-way player of, of that era.
0: Yeah, we'll get into it throughout the interview of just how great an athlete he was and how um, I think, You know, everybody says you just can't turn it on after you've turned it off. You can't just walk out onto the field and turn it on. And if you really consider the kind of career that Dutch Clark had, he was that guy who could just walk out there and and turn it on. Um, Why do you think Dutch Clark is so important when discussing the history of professional football?
2: Well, I mean, when, when you talk about uh, elite players, you know, uh, I mean, uh, when you look at today, you know, you, you're going to mention, you know, the Tom Brady's and the Adrian Peterson's and the JJ Watts, you know, these guys who are will go down, you know, even 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you're going to know them, you're going to know the name, they're going to be enshrined in, in, in Canton, Ohio at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I think that's what makes Dutch you know, so important is because he he was one of those elite players. You know, I, I, you can make that argument. Like I said, he, he's maybe the greatest all around player of those first 20 years. I mean, first 20 25 years where players were going both ways. You know, offense and defense. He he's in that argument of being one of the three or four greatest players. You know, um, you know, even though like I said, some fans now might not quite know how good he was to even recognize his name. He's not. He's not you know, Jim Thorpe or Red Grange or, or uh, you know, Bronco Nagurski. These names that are synonymous with some of the early years are two-way players. You know, Dutch it should be right at the top of the list. So I think that's what makes him an important figure in, in NFL history.
0: Chris, you wrote the book, Dutch Clark, The Life of an NFL Legend and the Birth of the Detroit Lions. Where did your interest in Dutch come from and why write a book about him?
2: Uh, that's an interesting question, Warren. I appreciate it. Um, uh, I, can, I can sort of admit that I didn't plan on writing a book about Dutch. Uh, I, I had written a couple of early books about early pro football. Um, up to that point, uh, I had known of his career. I, had, I knew he was a charter member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and I wanted just to do a little bit more. I was looking for a new project to write about. And I was like, you know, um, and at that time, this is probably around 2010. Um, I had located Dutch's, he had, uh, you know, a, a two sons that were still living and two mm-hmm. stepsons. Mm-hmm. So the two sons intrigued me because I was like, oh, wow, this is a first generation, you know, uh, People that could talk about them, and when I uh, introduced myself and said I was interested, in maybe writing a- about their father, they were really generous in their time and the material. So it, it sort of took off from there, and I was equally impressed by the family as much as of Dutch's accomplishments. I, I going in, I thought I knew you know, uh, enough about him, like oh wow, you know, Hall of Famer, charter member, but he was much better player than i expected you know I, you know sometimes with some of these early stars they were built up in the media you know mm-hmm. you know uh, or were written about more than footage you know well nowadays we can watch every tom brady game of his whole career um but there's not as much footage of, of some of these guys from the 20s and 30s and 40s and, and 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 even if you read about them, but the more i read about them and then some of the footage that i was able to find on dutch just I was more impressed that he was better than I thought. He was better, you know. You know. You know. Finding oral history, you know. You know, opponents talking about him, you know, teammates talking about him, especially opponents and, and opponent coaches. They just raved how good he was, and and that sort of impressed me when I did the book. Is that Dutch was much better, much better player at the start of the project or at the end of the project than it was at the start of the project and um, was very impressed by how good of a career he had. And like I said, you mentioned like how important he was to the NFL, uh, which was sort of, it's still under the radar. It was still, you know, maybe not quite as, as, as maybe at the level where he should be, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: where did his athletic talent come from? I mean, this guy was a stud at football he was a terrific basketball player you know track and field he threw the discus ran the high hurdles and while he didn't maybe excel at baseball he did wind up playing a little bit of baseball in college where did all that talent come from
2: i think he just he just was motivated i, I think there's you know some of these guys who played in the in the two-way era i think they just loved sports and it was definitely at a time where You played them all, you know. You you didn't specialize. You didn't you didn't play baseball for twelve months around, you know, or you know you played soccer for twelve months like like maybe you do now. Um, they were they just loved to compete, you know. You know, so so the Red Granges and the Dutch Clarks they would play, you know, three and four sports, you know, and Mm -hmm. they would just and I think that helped them you know be great athletes, you know. I think you know you know Dutch playing basketball you know playing track playing a little baseball it just helps you overall to th- th- being this great athlete and y- and then you work on it when you get to the you know especially once you get to the professional level you know then all that stuff pays off you know you know the hand-eye coordination the speed the quickness um you know reading about dutch dutch worked at it you know almost all year round you know mm-hmm. uh, obviously you know he you know, had some, some, some jobs here and there, you know, as you always do, but, you know, he wanted to keep active and he worked at it. So, you know, when you played in the, in the, in the winter, you played in the spring, you played in the summer, it paid off, you know, um, you know, you know, down the road there, you know, as a professional football player. So a lot of these two way era players and Dutch was one where you just worked at it. All the different sports helped you become a great athlete, you know, because you're working on skills, you know, like I said, hand-eye coordination and, you know, speed, quickness, you know, just your, your, you know, your thinking and that type of stuff. That's how he became such a great athlete. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the easiest positions to, to measure on the football field are those that you can compile a lot of statistics. He was a kicker, as you said, a punter. He was a terrific tailback. A terrific quarterback. I mean, this guy was nothing less than spectacular on the football field. What were his strengths at tailback? What were his strengths at quarterback?
2: Well, uh, I think when you watch him, when you watch him on film, especially, um, uh, the thing that stood out most, especially from the tailback position, was his feet. He had tremendous feet uh he never stopped moving you know uh and unlike some players of that era when you watch them that you know a lot of the action was at the line of scrimmage obviously you didn't have the spread offenses you know the single wing or you know a lot of the action was at the line of scrimmage so you know a lot of carries were for no yards or negative yards but when i watched dutch his feet were always moving. I don't think I ever saw him get tackled for like a negative game. It, you know, it was always you know, three yards here, four yards, seven yards, you know, first down, first down, and then he would run for 10, you know, uh, he, he wasn't the, maybe the breakaway threat, although he had some speed, you know, that maybe like, like red Grange was before his knee injury. Um, but his feet always moved forward It's always going forward. And it was very impressive because a lot of times, in those days, it was a lot of – it wasn't even three yards of cloud. It was just, you know, at the line of scrimmage, zero gain, zero, mm-hmm. zero, zero. And then you might get a five-yard run or, or a lot of punts on third down because of field position. You want to – you know, field position battle. But Dutch, I think his feet, uh, along with his vision, you know, were, worked very well together. You know, of him always moving the ball because you could tell he had – the athletic ability that some of the tailbacks didn't have, you know, you know, a lot, lot of, a lot of, you know, movement, you know, with his hips and and stuff, but his feet were very impressive. Now as a passer, um, he was uh, somewhat accurate, you know, I mean, you know, there was one year where he completed, you know, 55% of his pass, which at that time, I think most quarterbacks were completing like 30%, Mm -hmm. you know, one year where he, you know, he, complete about 50 percent 55 percent of his passes um uh he didn't have the the tightest spiral you know maybe like like a sammy ball did or or benny friedman but he, he could be um very effective as a passer um and then uh you know punting was good and his other skill that was probably elite was as a drop kicker you know which during his career was starting to get phased out a little bit, you know, with, with place kicking, mm-hmm. but he was one of the last great drop kickers, you know, very accurate, you know, you know, for extra points of field goals. Um, so, so definitely, you know, like I said, to, to sort of summarize, I think his feet and his vision was probably the best of anybody in that first couple decades.
0: Obviously you studied the game particularly of that era what was it like playing quarterback during the 1930s? How, obviously different than today, but can you paint some sort of a picture for us of what playing quarterback was like and and what was expected of a quarterback? I mean, it's not like they were going into these games throwing the ball, you know, 30, 40 times. You know, the, the year that you said he completed 55% of his passes, I'm looking at the stats right now, It was 53.5%, so you were darn close. And, you know, he started six games, um, appeared in 12, and for those games, he was 38 of 71. So, again, you're not throwing – you're not throwing um – sorry, I just got distracted. My daughter's in college, and Mm. she just sent us a note that her building is on fire. I don't even know what that means. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just got distracted. Um, I was just Mm -hmm. asking you about. Oh, here come all the texts. I know. (laughs) Um, Wow. Um, I I apologize.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. So she goes to the University of Maryland. I don't know where I'm calling you. Uh, where am I calling you, Chris? Where do you pardon? Live? Where Where do you
2: live? Uh, uh I'm in uh, New Jersey. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, outside of Philadelphia, on the Jersey side.
0: Oh, okay. My sister lives in Valley Forge. On the, you know, obviously, in uh, uh, yeah.
2: All right. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So.
0: So what was playing quarterback like? Back during his era.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was different for for each team. Uh, in general, yes, uh, most teams didn't did throw probably more more than you know you know twelve or fifteen times a game, and the Lions were probably a little bit stingier than that. <laughs> um, Patsy Clark, who was their head coach, was real into the running game, so so they might only throw you know you know six seven sometimes eight times a game. Um, so yeah, that's why Dutch is, that's impressive, uh, you know, uh, but he was still much more effective than some of the other quarterbacks who were thrown a little bit more, you know, uh, but for the, for in general, it was a running league in the twenties. It was all about the running game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thirties it opened up a little bit more because of the rules changes a little bit of opening the passing game, you know, for the NFL. Uh, so there's a little bit more passing in the thirties. But it was still a predominantly running game. Uh, but like that for Dutch's Lions, you know, th- there were times, you know, he might only be asked, you know, to maybe throw from his, whether it's from his tailback position, you know, you know, you know maybe seven or eight times a game, you know, um, uh, you know, because they ran the ball so well. Uh, uh, at at times they didn't they didn't feel like they needed to throw where the Packers. Might have threw you know twelve to fifteen passes a game, Mm -hmm. you know with with Curly Lambeau. So um, so it's definitely uh, up until you know it still took a little while for the passing game maybe to overtake (laughs) the running game, but definitely in the twenties, definitely throughout the thirties, it was mainly a running game in the NFL.
0: What about in college? Now he went to and played for Colorado College, and he certainly made his mark. And there he was the first team quarterback. And was the first All-America from any school in Colorado, again, as quarterback. What was playing quarterback like in college? Was it any different than it was in professional football?
2: Um, no, it was still a predominantly running game in college. Um, now, for Colorado College, when Dutch played, they did throw the ball uh, maybe a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, maybe like ten, ten times, you know, ten, you know, in double digits, they probably threw more than the Lions did. Uh, they they tried to use that to offset because everybody was geared to stop Dutch Clark. Dutch, Dutch Clark was a a a starter, you know, you know, from a sophomore year. You know, where where freshmen were ineligible at the time. Mm-hmm. So when when he was a sophomore and junior, especially his junior year, uh, they would game plan to stop him. So they opened it up. They they threw a little bit at Colorado College Uh, but he was still all about you know the game plan was was to run Dutch Clark and um, yeah he was you know the best player that come out of that state you know uh, it was a real surprise there was a uh, sports writer for the Associated Press named Alan Gold uh, who was based out of New York Uh, he had heard real good things about Dutch Clark and he did his research and he put him on his first team, all American squad. And he actually got criticized for it. You know, it's like, cause nobody knew where Colorado <laughs> was they actually didn't know Colorado college. They got it confused with the university of Colorado. People still think that Dutch went to the university of Colorado, but no, it was Colorado college, which was even smaller. <laughs> and Alan gold got criticized. Like well, who's this Dutch Clark and where's Colorado college. And um, so when Dutch, started playing in the nfl he used it as motivation he he always thought that that he wanted to sort of reward alan gold to say you know i wanted to see if i'm as good as i thought i was or what you know you know alan gold thought i was and that's what motivated him a little bit he said that in several interviews that i found where he used it as motivation to 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 see if he could prove himself in pro ball um and in the nfl so um and then alan gold was sort of um you know, rewarded for that. And everybody's, you know, sort of, you know, gave him credit for sort of finding Dutch and, and put him on the first, because nobody else pretty much had him on the first team, except, and and he was associated press. That was probably as big as it gets, um, you know, outside of, 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 um, of water camps, all American team, mm-hmm. the associated press was a huge honor to be on, on the first team. And, and Dutch was, and, and the, uh, and, and gold was the one that found him. So uh, it was always a really good story for Dutch to, to be honored that way.
0: Mm-hmm. And he was a bull. I think it was his junior year or senior year. He had it was his junior
2: It was junior year. He yes.
0: 10 yards a carry rushed mm-hmm. for, you know, 1,350 yards or something like that scored two over 200 points. I mean, how just how good was he in college and,
2: yeah.
0: and did he play any other sport in college?
2: Yeah. I mean, he was, he was great. I mean, uh, uh, it, it, the conference that they played, it was Denver university and some of those schools like that it, out West. So a Wyoming. So, so it wasn't, it wasn't like he was such a man among boys, but he played like a man among boys in that conference. So, um, he was very impressive. And obviously he was, he was a great athlete, you know, it, you know, it turned out to be, you know, one of the, you know, charter member of the pro football hall of fame. So mm-hmm. he was a very great athlete and he did play multiple sports, uh, uh, at Colorado college. He played basketball. He was track. Um, he didn't play as much baseball there. Uh, but, but he earned, well, uh, you know, four letters in track or three letters in track, three letters in, in basketball and three letters in, in football, wow. you know, so, uh, and and I think he got one or two in baseball. So you know it was you know it's almost like 12 letters in college. And that was only for three years. Like I said, he was right. there, yeah. freshmen were ineligible at the time. So uh, you know he was a tremendous athlete. I mean, you could still I mean he hasn't played you know college sports in almost you know 90 years or whatever. He's probably still the best athlete to ever come out of Colorado College. You wow. know so wow. you know and that, and that's very rare at this time that you know for guys you know, like that to, to still maybe be the best ever athlete to, to come out of Pacific, you know, high school or college. So.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, during my research and reading about Dutch Clark, one of the conclusions that I came up with, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but I get the feeling he really loved the college life. I mean, <laughs> don't we all? He wound up staying and later coaching, what can you tell us about his college days, if anything that made him so love the college life
2: well I mean he I think when when you're when you're young and you're coming up and you love sports you you want to be around it and you want to play it for as long as you can even back then you know in the late twenties you know uh he just wanted to keep playing sports. I mean, you know, was that or the mines or the railroad in, in Colorado? So, you know, you know, his mom was a big supporter of him going to high school, you know, and then going on to college um, because the, the work that he was going to choose were going to be, you know, you are working in the mines or you are working, you know, on the railroad. So, um, so I, I think he liked that I think he thought hey you know athletics was maybe a way he could make a career and he did for the most part um, you know you know he coached uh, after You know, he coached in, in the NFL and then he coached uh, in college you know uh, was coaching um, was head coach at the University of Detroit mm-hmm. an athletic director for a while you know uh, for a decade or so so I think he just used athletics to hey look this is what I'm and now we see it as a positive. You're passionate mm-hmm. about sports. You're passionate, you know, about playing or coaching. You can make a career, and, and that's what he did. So I think that's why he liked – and he liked college probably just as much as the pros, although he was an NFL coach for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I, I think he liked teaching kids. You know, I don't think he liked recruiting. <laughs> I think that's why he gave it up at, at, at some point. But he didn't particularly care for – especially at the University of Detroit, you had to compete against, you know, Notre Dame and and, and Northwest and Northwestern and some of the big 10 schools and you just weren't going to win those battles most of the time to get players. So, uh, but he was just, like I said, he was a, you know, he loved athletics. He he loved sports and and he wanted to to make, uh, make it in there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So after his playing days at Colorado college were over, he decided to stay and work there as an assistant football coach and serve as the school's head basketball coach. So I have two questions here. First, why stay and work as an assistant football coach and not pursue a professional football career? And second, tell us about his exploits as the school's basketball coach.
2: Yeah, I mean at that time, I mean, you know, pro football wasn't still wasn't as popular as today. Like Automatically now, you know most all American players are going to say, "Hey, I'm going to go get drafted. I'm going to go play in the NFL." Um, you know, but back in you know in, in 19 you know this is 1930 when he graduated, um, that wasn't the first option. You know, you know, you know uh, for, for for even all American players or even players, there's like you want, know you know, some went and play pro ball, some went into you know into the business world. So he you know, at that point, you know, he, he was, uh, he got married the same day he graduated from college. So he married his high school sweetheart. So he was married. He was going to need a job. Um, so he saw, uh, that his, uh, school, you know, because he was the most popular athlete to ever come out of that school. Uh, even especially at that time, they saw it as a recruiting thing. Hey, look, you know, because I think it was university of Colorado or, um, Colorado mines was looking to hire him. There's like, well, we don't want our best player coaching at a rival school and and kids going to that rival school. Mm -hmm. So, and he thought it as a first good step, you know, um, uh, as, as, you know, being able to support his wife and, 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 and and be able to make a living. So he, um, he agreed to to just be an assistant under, uh bully Vandergraff was the head coach was his head coach there the entire time and then he could coach be the head coach of basketball so he decided to do that you know uh, which was probably a good move for him at the time you know because it gives him you know support and and he's still learning and he's learning you know stuff about the coaching aspect of of the game and stuff so um so that's probably why he did it at that time you know so uh uh and, and then he sort of you know got the the itch to play again. And and that sort of came around. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So now he did get the itch and I need for you to give us a history lesson, Chris, the Portsmouth Spartans, who were they? How good were they? And who were some of their stars?
2: Yeah. Portsmouth, uh, had a a very good, um, sort of, you you know, football background, you know, down in Southern Ohio, um, they had some semi-pro teams that were uh, very competitive. Actually, Jim Thorpe played for the Portsmouth uh, shoe steals <laughs> uh, because there was a lot of shoe uh, 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 um, manufacturers in Portsmouth that sort of sponsored uh, teams. And um, uh, so they had a tradition of fielding pretty competitive teams. Um, and then the Spartans just came out of that. You know, they played in 1929 as an independent team uh, still a semi-pro team um, and then got the itch to join the NFL in 1930 you know they thought they could compete with, with some of the, the bigger teams you know, uh, uh, that the NFL were fielding um, and they did you know they, they were they were a competitive team in, that first year in 1930 um, they were led mainly by a, a halfback uh, by the name of Glenn Presnell um, who was a Nebraska All-American who had uh played um locally there you know after leaving nebraska he played for the ironton tanks but they had um uh you know fizzed out because of the great depression so um so presnell was there um and then they hired potsy clark uh in 1931 um to run the team you know uh Mm -hmm. Uh, and Potsy was a, a guy who had been around the block uh, for, for several years. He had coached at uh, several major colleges. He had not coached in the NFL at the time, but he had a really good uh, mind. Uh, he played at Illinois under Bob Zupke, who, who coached who coached Red Range. So he had a very good football mind and, and was going to try to make the Spartans the next step. And, and this is where Dutch comes into play because Potsy – Dutch might not have played in the NFL if it wasn't for Patsy Clark's connection to Dutch. Uh, Patsy's uh, brother Stu Clark was actually the head basketball coach at Denver University, mm-hmm. and he had yeah. and he had watched Dutch destroy Denver on the football field and and you know for for three years, and he and he and he sort of went to his brother once the brother got uh well, once Patsy got the head coaching job he's like. Hey, I know of this great halfback, you know, the single wing tailback, you know, quarterback that could play better than anybody. I think you you should see if you could sign him, you know, because Potsy had some halfbacks, had some linemen. He had uh, signed uh, Pop Lumpkin. He had signed Claire Randolph, the center. Um, Harry Ebding was a good end. So he was building a good um, front line. He just needed sort of a leader to 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 run the the show and 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 his brother told him about dutch so dutch you know wrote or um Patsy wrote dutch clark um no relation said, correct no relation yeah, no relation yeah and uh he wrote to him say hey, if you're interested you know he's going to pay him you know you know uh, i think it was 150 dollars or 200 dollars get you know it was a very good amount mm-hmm. <laughs> for that time and for that small town you know the um and then um, I think it was $140 a game his his first year in 31. And and Dutch was very interested in playing because like you said, he wanted to see if he was as good as his press clippings, especially against mm-hmm. the best in pro football. And uh, so he just decided to go to, to Portsmouth to play uh, in the NFL. So uh, so that's how Potsy got him. But Potsy built a, a very good team there uh, in Portsmouth.
0: Yeah, so you've – Already answered my next question, which was, how did he wind up with Portsmouth? Yeah, (laughs) But tell us about his immediate impact on the team. I mean, they went 11-3 and his first year. He led the league in scoring with 60 points. That's nine touchdowns and six extra points. And he was the first-team All-Pro quarterback. I mean, wow, what an impact. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, it was uh – definitely from the get-go. I mean, you know, once he learned Patsy's system, you know, which came pretty quickly, um, you know, after the first game or two, uh, he was inserted in the starting lineup. Um, that just shows how great he was. I mean, he, you know, you know, they had built a really good line to help block. You know, Patsy was committed to the running game, and so they gave him the ball a lot. They, they allowed him to pass and, and run, and, and, and uh, obviously he was effective as a, as a kicker, but um and you see it like you said he was a first team all pro back that first year and that's all based on like i said he was very productive um you know with that team i mean uh that team went on to have some very good years there in portsmouth in 31 and 32 and 33 um almost went into championship in 32 but uh I, and you see it when when I did the research for the book and you come across quotes from a, especially opponents, you know, you know, you know, people like Red Grange and Brock and of the Bears, you know, Mel Hine, you know, of the Giants, um, you, know, you know, Cliff Battles, you know, of the Braves Redskins team. They all they always complimented Dutch like they knew he was probably the best player. He's definitely the best player on the Portsmouth <laughs> team and probably the best player on the field most games. So it, 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 they were definitely impressed by him, you know, obviously the media and like I said, being voted, you know, all pro, you know, his rookie year and like I said, you know, leading the league and score, you know, he was, he was always up there and in the, in leading the league and scoring. He led the NFL and scoring in three years, you know, uh, you know, so um, he was very impressive from the get go. And those awards and those honors showed that.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy from Little Colorado College, but there was a catch with Colorado College as well. Um, he agreed to go back to the school as soon as the football season was over and resume his responsibilities as the team's basketball coach. A little cloudy here. That first year, did he actually leave Portsmouth before the season ended? If so, why? And how did that work out with all the parties?
2: Well, well, he didn't do it his first year. His, he, uh, when he, when he, when he signed uh, to play for the Spartans, uh, he gave up his uh, role as assistant football coach. They, uh, they, they actually slashed his salary, <laughs> but he was still committed to be the head basketball coach. So his first year, um, the season was over before the basketball season started Ah, so okay okay. so he was able to do that in 31 but if you're getting to 1932 then that's where it became a big issue because at the end of the 1932 nfl season uh, a, a crazy thing happened where the portsmouth spartans and the chicago bears tied for the first place in the league at that time there was no championship game it was one one league and the team with the best winning percentage was declared to champion mm-hmm. well in 1932 the, the the bears and the Spartans ended with a, a, a you know uh the same record you know uh it they like had
0: six two and four or something
2: well like the that. ties were not considered in the record like they are now okay. they were they were, so they were both six and one so um so what happened was the two teams in the league agreed to play what is now considered the first NFL playoff game. And it's the famous 1932 game that was played actually indoors because of a winter storm in Chicago. Oh
0: yeah. And the field dimensions weren't yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we 80 that.
2: yards. Yeah. 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 So that game was played indoors, but what happened was that game was never scheduled. So I believe it was December 18th, 1932 is when the game was played. Well, Dutch was, already the, the, the was supposed to already end and he was supposed to already be back at school coaching basketball well the school Colorado College would not allow him out of his contract to play that game imagine that now you get to the Super Bowl and your employee won't allow you to play in the Super Bowl because oh you know what we didn't think you were going to make the Super Bowl and you know at the end of the season well he was denied the chance to play in that game because he needed to be back and he did he went back to Colorado College and he had a basketball game either that that first week. And so he did not play ah. in that game. And, and and the Spartans and Bears and the, the Spartans held up. They played, it was a 0-0 game into the fourth quarter because of the confined field. But the Bears end up scoring a touchdown and a safety in the fourth quarter and won nine to nothing. If Dutch played in that game, maybe that that result becomes different. And Spartans actually become the NFL champion in 32. So so his Role, as as a head basketball coach, did cost him his first big, you know, sort of chance at, uh, of proving himself in, in that such, of a, uh, such a big game, which now is considered the first postseason game in NFL history.
0: Uh-huh. Okay, so that clears that up. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, 32, you got to figure they would have had a better showing against the Bears had he played in that game. I mean, again, he led the NFL in scoring. He was named first team all pro quarterback and I read somewhere and I can't remember where here he has only played two seasons of NFL football and he was named the NFL's best player for the previous 10 seasons. I mean, he was so good, so far and above everybody else.
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, he's, and like I said, I think everybody knew he was that good too. Like I said, opponents always praised him of how good he was and how hard he played and how smart he was. Um, you know, you know, you know. So I think that's always something that's impressive to to find because obviously teammates are going to be a little biased at times. So so when you read how teammates thought of him, obviously they thought of the world of them and they they they. they they would play hard for him. But when you hear opponents start to praise him, you know, you know equally and, and, and to say, hey, look, if you had to beat the Spartans and then later with the Lions, like, you had to stop Dutch Clark and that mm-hmm. was the guy you had to – that's the guy you had to stop. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, again, here's where it gets a little cloudy for me. He was so darned good, but prior to the 1933 season, he decided to step away from the game go back to Colorado, and take over as head football coach of the Colorado School of Mines. Why give up professional football, and what the heck is the Colorado Mm -hmm. School of Mines? I believe they still exist today.
2: Yeah, it's still there. uh, Well, you you got to understand that the – you know, it, it was the early days of early years of the depression. So uh and you also gotta remember that the Portsmouth Spartans were a really small town <laughs> of about forty thousand, uh trying to make it in the big leagues, you know, to field an NFL team. So the two years that Dutch played with them, they had a hard time making money, you know, um, uh, their home stadium wasn't that big. Uh, Spartan Stadium, which is actually still there. It's one of the few early stadiums still there. Uh, a, a local high school plays there now. Um, wow. yeah, um, so they were trying to you know pay their players, uh, you know, Dutch in several interviews uh, later in his life admit that he didn't get paid for a couple games. So I think the as good as he thought he was gonna get paid to not be able to get, you know, some of your money, you know, you know, uh, he, he didn't step away or miss any games, but he, um, you know, so I think that was part of it, it was like, Hey, look, I need a little more stability. Uh, I'm about to have a baby, you know, you know, w- you know, w- w- with, with his wife, you know, so he, um, so he stepped away just to have a little bit more of the stability, mm. um, you know, like I said, it's the depression, and, and obviously, you see, after the 1933 season, the, um, you know, the Spartans were sold to Detroit, so they yeah. weren't going to survive very long, because because of their difficulty of of, of, of funds and, 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 and raising money and stuff like that. They just weren't going to Portsmouth. It's unfortunate because I think the fans there, but they would get seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people for that town. That was very big, but when you're talking about, you know, Chicago's and New York's getting 15 and 20,000 people, yeah. it, it, came, it became harder to support the team and came harder for teams to say, well, we're going to go to Portsmouth, but we're only, they're only going to have 7,000 fans. Well, I can go play <laughs> in Boston and in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, which were coming up and obviously Chicago and New York. Well, the Giants and the Bears were getting sometimes at least 15,000, 20, you know, 25,000 people. So, um, so it was unfortunate that Dutch went through that but he decided to to go to um go back to coaching to be a little bit more stable in the money he was making
0: yeah and it didn't go too well for him at the colorado school for mines i mean he went one in five in his only season with the ore diggers and then he yeah. went back to the nfl only now like you say portsmouth moved and were now known as the detroit lions What happened with the ore diggers? And I'm sure the
2: lions were thrilled to be getting him back. What happened with them at the Colorado school? Uh, No, I I mean, uh, they just weren't at the level as some of the other schools, you know, Uh, I mean, Colorado college, university of Colorado, you know, uh, Wyoming, you know, some of those schools that were around there and near those conference um, just had a little bit more talent. You know, if you're going to the Colorado School of Mines, you're really going there to get to, to get that education to work in, in you know in the field. You're not you're not doing it because you're a superior athlete. You know, if you're if you're a great athlete, you're probably going to University of Colorado or Colorado College. Yeah, so yeah. uh so he's probably a little bit behind the eight ball, you know, and then also I think he was distracted. I, I think you know, he thought he was probably, you know, still still wanting to coach, but he you know there were several newspaper articles, you know, even starting his senior year uh, in college, uh, of being rumored to go to the jobs, you know. So, uh, so we, you know, it was, it was almost the life of a coach. You're always, you know, being recruited to maybe coach somewhere else, or to find a little better job, or better players. So, um, so maybe, you know, his mind started wandering a little bit, uh, seeing some, maybe some of the talent he, he might not have had. So. Mm-hmm.
0: So after that one season with the ore diggers, he went back to the NFL and the Lions. And like I said early on, this is what I meant by he could just turn the switch on and go. It was as if he had never missed a beat. He picked up right where he left off. Again, showing just how dominant and spectacular on the football field he was. He goes back um, for the thirty-four season. Was first team All Pro quarterback. He was second in the league in points scored, third in rushing, fourth in passing. I mean, he was phenomenal. Um, how was he able to step in and
2: pick right back up like he did? Well, I think that happens with with most great athletes. You know, um, you know, he was he was still kept himself in shape. It wasn't like he was out of shape or anything. Um. But uh, but you're right, you know. Like I said, he, he picked up pretty much right where he left off, you know, with Portsmouth, and he didn't miss a beat, and you know it came natural to him, you know. And and Potsy, you know, you know, just gave him the ball like he, he trusted him, you know, you know uh, uh, sort of gave him the keys to the car, and you know he would he would run he would run it, and um uh and that line team was good. Like I said, they were that team that he started in Portsmouth. Was, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves with the, cha- you know, but it was a championship team. It was going to win a championship mm-hmm. and, and it was built that way. You know, Potsy was coaching it that way and, and Dutch was the leader and, you know, they were eventually going to get over the hump. I mean, they, the 34 season, they started out 10 and 0, and they had what, eight, eight straight shutouts to start the season, which is never, <laughs> that's never happened, and it's never going to happen again. You're not going to get an NFL team that's going to shut somebody. You know, you can say the quality of play or whatever, but still, to shut out eight straight teams—that's It's just crazy. So they just ran out of gas at the end of the year. You know, you know, with the Bears, you know, beating them. So and the Bears were a great team. They went on to win the first NFL championship in 33 and um or in 30, 33 and 34. So you know it wasn't like they were that far off from being the best team in football and they had the best player with Dutch.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't really lose a whole lot of steam in 35. And when you look back at Dutch's career, 35 probably had to be his most rewarding. The Lions won the West, and then they went on to win the NFL championship by beating the New York Giants 26-7. to so tell us about that 1935 season. again, Dutch led the league or was close to leading the league in so many categories. and the Thanksgiving Day game against the Bears was probably one of his most memorable of his career.
2: Yeah, I think when you when you look at sports and and, and especially you know, when you look at the NFL, there's sometimes, uh, the previous year motivates you, you know, you know, so, um, so I think in 34, when they came up short, I think it motivated them. They're like, we probably should have played for the NFL championship. We probably could have won the NFL championship. So, so when 35 comes around, uh, they had that mentality to say, look, we're just as good as anybody in this league. You know, we have the best player in Dutch Clark and, and they sort of rode that the entire year, you know, like I said, they were built, Um, you know, the the championship team was being built and they, and they proved it. And, uh, and I think for Dutch, obviously 35, you know, is the crowning point of his career. And, and that game, you know, just because NFL films wasn't there, (laughs) because if he was you, his (laughs) touchdown run in that game, there's, there's some newsreel footage of it. You know, it's shot way from the top. (laughs) You know, but his 46-yard touchdown run where he weaves back and forth, you know, he outruns and he outmoves the whole Giants defense on a 46-yard touchdown run in, in the first quarter to put them up 14 to nothing. That's his signature run. It would be like John Riggins in the Super Bowl against the Dolphins, mm-hmm. you know, or, or Lynn Swan's catch. Like, it would be a signature play that you would always see, you know, uh and so, and that's how great he was. He, you know, he came up big and like some guys don't, but he came up big in that championship game. You know? uh, and if you look at the stats for that game, they threw, I believe three passes the entire game, you know, because they went out, they jumped out early. You know, and Dutch led that 46-yard that run, put them up 14 to nothing. Mm-hmm. They ran the ball almost the entire game because they knew that they had enough points with their defense that they were going to win the game. You know, wow. and and Dutch delivered. Like I said, Dutch signature play. If you want to say, well, how great was he? Well, he had this great long run in the championship game against a great Giants team who were the defending champs. They had won the year before in the, in the famous sneaker game against the Bears. They were the defending champs, and the, the Lions beat them, and, and Dutch Clark had a great day, mm-hmm. including the, the best run of his life. Yeah.
0: Right, and speaking of the Bears and great games, Thanksgiving Day. Yep. They won, oh, yeah, that was another. 14 to nothing, and he had both touchdowns.
2: Yeah, he – I mean, that's another thing that, that sort of elevated him, too, especially in Detroit, was – um, because that was one of the things that the Lions owner, George – a richards wanted he wanted you know this sort of more key game so he wanted to play on thanksgiving he wanted the bears to play on thanksgiving and they had lost the year before uh but in 35 they got revenge and 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 dutch had another great day and uh and and that sort of elevated the lions because at that time Detroit was kind of like the city of champions, you know, the, the Detroit tigers won the world series mm-hmm. in 35, the red wings had won the Stanley cup, you know, so Richards didn't want to be in the back seat. So when they won the championship in 35 and, and Dutch was a big part of that, it elevated the lions to like, Hey, they're going to be on the front page of the sports page, just as much as the tigers and the red wings. And, and they were going to be this sort of fabric. Now, nobody in Detroit would ever think of, about the Lions leaving or not having Thanksgiving Day games in Detroit, you know. So so Dutch was a big part of that, you know, that early history and that early sort of, you know, mm. just having the city sort of, you know, love the Lions and become Lions fans. Mm-hmm.
0: Chris, I got a funny question for you. Did Dutch enjoy the game? And And by that, I mean this. He had stepped away from it in 1933 and was threatening to do so again after the 1935 season. And he only played another three years, retiring after the 38 season at the age of 32. Did, you know, he stepped away once, threatened to do it twice, retired somewhat young at 32. Did he enjoy the game, playing the game
2: yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I think when you look at players from that era, I mean, uh, technically 32 is, is very old, <laughs> uh, you know. So guys only played like three or four years and then would go into business or go, you know, and, and do their life's work, so to speak, you know. Um, So guys who played, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years wasn't quite as common as, as maybe you see today, you know. Uh, even though today, I think the average career is still about three and a half years. So um, I, I think it was more of, and you see it from players, especially who played in the in the two-way era, they always wanted to retire, you know, because they were so beat up at the end of the year. They're playing 60 minutes, you know, or 40, 50, 60 minutes. They're playing both ways, and you, you just want the season to end. And once the season ends, you then you start feeling better, in, in, you know, in the spring. Then you feel even better in the summer. And, you know, because Grange said the same thing, like, oh, I'm going to retire this year. And then he would come back and play. Oh, I'm retired. And Dutch did that. You know, <laughs> and I think a lot of guys who who s- still love the game and, and, and still wanted to play as, as much as they could, they would go through that little sort of law and say, you know what, I'm going to. Oh, no, I'm going to come back and play. And, and Dutch did that, you know, and uh, and I don't think anybody held it against them. I mean, I think it was just the nature of 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 what those two-way players did you know like oh if you felt good you wanted to play then you came back and played you know because most of the time you just signed one-year deals you did not sign four or five-year contracts you know like you do today mm-hmm. um it was always year to year you're always tied to that team until you either retired or the team didn't want you back so um so so I, no dutch loved football he, he you know, he was low-key about it. He didn't toot his own horn. He, he didn't brag about himself. Um, but he loved football. Like I said, he, he, you know, he, he went on to coach,
1: mm-hmm. and he
2: loved, he loved going to games. And he, like, even when he was retired in Detroit, he would go to the Lions games, you know, with his sons, and he would take his family to the games, and they would watch, you know um, – because he was a little bit older, he would actually watch it to about the third quarter. <laughs> and then he would say, let's listen to the fourth quarter on the way home because he wanted to be that <laughs> yeah. But when you, get, when you get older, you just want to you know you do that, you know, sure. uh, especially when you're dealing with 50,000, 60,000 people, you know, at Briggs Stadium, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So um, but he loved football. He was he was passionate about it um, and, and, and just just loved everything about it. Mm
0: hmm. His last three years were good. I mean, again, he led the league in several statistical categories, although the Lions never got back to the title game. And in 1937, Patsy Clark left for the Brooklyn Dodgers. No, no, not the baseball Brooklyn Dodgers. Mm -hmm. Yes, there was a team in the NFL called the Brooklyn Dodgers. So Patsy leaves for the Dodgers, and Dutch took over the job as Head coach of the Lions and still played full time. I mean, this just goes to show how how well every how great everybody thought of him, that he could do both. I mean, he was the head coach of the Lions while he was still playing. I mean, that has to be such a difficult task. And those first two years, he was still playing pretty much full time. He he sort of stepped back a little the third year. Talk about life for Dutch Clark as the head coach of the Lions while still playing.
2: Yeah, it wasn't uncommon to have player coaches, but at that time in the late sort of near the late thirties, uh, it was, it, it was starting to be phased out, you know, you know, uh, uh, definitely in the twenties, the, you had player coaches like George Allison and Curly Lambeau, but uh, so it was, so it was starting to, be a very unique yeah i think it stretched him um as as a player coach but like you mentioned uh that team had a lot of respect for dutch i mean dutch even though they might have been close in age or the same age you know um he was probably thought of more as as a father figure like a coach anyways um he didn't go out drinking with the with the guys quite as you know he wasn't a, you know a rebel rouser. so he got a he had a lot of respect and, and and he knew the game. He was very knowledgeable. Um, I think the one thing that sort of um, might be the knock on him as a coach, maybe not being quite as successful as he was as a player is that he was a perfectionist. You know, it, it was very tough for him to relay his knowledge or to hey, this is how I did it. I was really instinctive and really good why can't my players be at that level? Mm. You know, I mean, he, he, he was an all time great. So it's very tough to, to judge, you know, a player for not being an all time great. So uh, because his overall coaching record uh, was probably around 500 or just slightly around there, you know, at time, you know, for the most part, even in college. So uh, being yeah. a perfectionist, yeah. being a perfectionist sometimes doesn't bode well when you're trying to teach young kids are kids that don't quite grasp it as quite as much. So but for the Lions, yes, you're right. They were they were very high on him. They they thought he was, you know, uh you know, a great leader and they were gonna listen to him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must have been a little frustrating for him as a coach after the Lions I mean He loved coaching. He had to have loved coaching. I mean, before he signed on with the Spartans, he was a coach. He left the Spartans to coach in college, came back. Then he became a player coach for the Lions. Then he coached the Cleveland Rams and and was on the staff of the Los Angeles Dons of the AAFC and later the University of Detroit. What was it about coaching that he enjoyed so much?
2: Well, I think it was just being around the game. I mean, uh, when you love football and and you want to, and you want to be around it, you know, uh, after you finish playing, you know, coaching's the next best thing, you know, you're out on the field, you know, you got practice, you got, you got camp, you got game days, you know? So it it was, um, it was part of his, you know, DNA was, was, was being a football player and then football coach. So, um, uh, I think he loved fundamentals. Um, there was uh, when he was coaching with the Lions and then with the Rams, there was a lot of articles that I found where he's, um, you know, he's given his sort of philosophy and his X's and O's and, and how to play the position. So, um, so I, I think he liked that. I, I think, you know, uh, uh, I think that happens with a lot of great players. You just like, the X's and O's and, and being, and being around, you know, being on the field, you know, you know, being there for game day, you know, loving all that stuff. So um, I think he enjoyed that, you know, like that maybe the results weren't quite like said um, he didn't win like a national championship or, mm-hmm. you know, like that. He was coach of the year in the Missouri Valley with the university of Detroit uh, one year. He had, they had a very good year. So, um, but I think he loved, just talking football you know just the x's and o's part of it you know you know most coaches do (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. do you think he was i guess if he looked back at his career do you think he was disappointed that he didn't experience the same kind of success as a coach as he did as a player
2: no i i didn't get that impression you know um you know, that, that he, you know, that he was disappointed or, you know, cause I think if you did that, then you might've kept going. Like, he, I think he was content to say, Hey, you know what? Um, just playing, you know, you know, just trying to get out there and play and see if I'm the best or if I'm coaching to see if I'm the best. I don't think he strived for like sort of that white whale. Like I, you know, I have to win. I have to, you know, I got to win championship, you know, or I'm um, unfulfilled and stuff, you know, um, I think he just, he looked at it to say, look, I want to compete like he did as a player. And I want to compete as a coach and then, uh, and give it my best. And, and then once he was done, he, he retired and, and, and stepped away. You know, he, I, I'm sorry. He, Cause he, de- he definitely could have coached longer. Like he, mm-hmm. he, when he retired from Detroit, he could have coached longer, but he stepped away.
0: Mhm mhm Chris I think one of the coolest facts about Dutch's career is that he was inducted into the college football Hall of Fame in its inaugural class of 1951 and the pro football Hall of Fame in its inaugural class of 1963. He was a member of the NFL, he was a member of the NFL's all decade team of 1930. And he was the first Lions player to have his number retired. He had such a wonderful career. So, as we close out today's show, I have three final questions for you. First, when you wrote your book, Dutch Clark, The Life of an NFL Legend and the Birth of the Detroit Lions, what surprised you most about Dutch
2: Clark? Wow. Uh, No, I think what surprised me, um, like I mentioned earlier, like, I, it, it surprised me just how great he was. Like, uh, I thought I, I, I knew uh, you know, his career and stuff, but um, I definitely after you know, doing the research and writing it, like I said, I would put him – I would have no problem if somebody said that he was the, the greatest two-way player of all time. Like, I, I would have no problem with that statement. You know, like, mm. He was that good. You know, I mean, he was that influential and he was that good of of a player and what he meant. You know, uh, uh, I mean, you look at, I mean, like I said, I, I hate to compare eras so much, but you know, I mean, you know, you know, Jim Brown did the same thing. You know, he you know dominated statistically. He won one NFL championship. Walter Payton did the same thing, dominated statistically and honors and opponents, and he won one. Super Bowl title, like Dutch, the equivalent did the same thing. You know, like he has all the honors, he has all the awards. You know, his opponents respected him, and he won a title. Like, you know, so, um, so in the era he played, like I said, you can't tell me, like I said, if you wanted to make that argument that that he was might have been, you know, the top two-way player of all time, I would have no problem with that. You know, mm-hmm. um. He, but he's definitely in the argument of the top three. So I think that's what surprised me, to go back to your question. Like, he he was better than I, I, I even imagined how great of a player he was.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Why do you think, at least in my opinion, he doesn't get as much acclaim as others from that era, say a Bronco Nagurski or a Ken Strong or a Mel Hine or a Don Hudson. After all, he put up such spectacular numbers and led the league in so many categories. And again, in my opinion, he's just not as well known as those other guys.
2: Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, that's when it was, like I said, when I when I did the research and, and then, then the book came out, I was like, I was hoping that that would help the cause a little bit to say, you know what? He deserves um, to be up there or on that mantle a little bit more, you know, just as much as the other players, you know, you know, doesn't need to be ahead of anybody, but he, he needs to be in the discussion or he can be a part of that, you know, a part with some of those players. And that's the reason why, you know, last year, you know, I was so happy, you know, that, that he was on that NFL 100 all time team, Mm -hmm. because he, he sort of seems to get lost, you know, and, um, so it's nice to see that, you know, maybe, you know, some people recognize, you know, how great he was, um, because I think he deserves it. How
0: should we remember Dutch Clark?
2: Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's like any player, you know, you, you hopefully you remember him, you know, as, um, you know, as just this, this phenomenal player, you know, you know, whether it's the, you know, the the little footage we have of him, you could watch him or you want to read about him or how he established the NFL in Detroit. Like he's got, he has so many layers to his career. And, and like I said, he's, he should be up there with some of the all time greats, you know? Um, but uh, I, I think we're, we should remember is that like, especially, you know, uh, as everybody, you know, as football is such a huge part of our lives. And, and if you love history, um to sort of see you know how great he was and and hopefully people remember you know uh I mean we didn't get into like I said he seemed to be a, a, a really good guy took care of his family mm-hmm. was su- successful in the things he did you know and but as a player you know we should look at him as, as one of the NFL's all-time greats
0: absolutely Chris I want to thank you for taking time out of your night to join me on Sports Forgotten Heroes and to talk about really one of the all-time greats, Dutch Clark.
2: Uh, no, thanks for having me, Warren. Like I said, I, I could talk all day about him. He's just such a, a tremendous uh, player and, and personality and, and sort of uh, has a niche in, in the history of the game. So, uh, so thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely, anytime. Hey Chris, that was really good. Thank you so much. I hope um, you know uh, uh, I did the kind of research I thought I needed to do to to elicit some great responses. You gave them to me. I hope you enjoyed this.
2: Oh no, it was great. Like I said, I, when you when you emailed me, I, I was a little excited. Like because because uh, uh, I you get so busy. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody's got busy lives and we're going through a lot of other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just to get that because. Uh, when I look at some of these projects, I, you know, I mean, that was eight years ago that that book came out. So you, you tend to move on and, you, and life goes fast and you're like, you, sometimes you want to step back and say, Oh, you know what? Um, it was, it was such a joy to do that. Cause most of these projects, you know, take, you know, sometimes two to three years sure. and, you know, so you live with it a little bit. And so to reach back and talk about, you know, my experience with that and, and to talk with you about Dutch, you know, like I said, so thanks for having me on. And, they yeah, I, I, had,
0: I had actually had hope to have done this in person but um, the uh, uh, the conference uh, the PFRA conference I had hoped to meet you there and do this in person but you know obviously because of everything threw us all for a loop yeah are, um, are you writing anything else
2: yeah I'm working on uh, as a matter of fact uh, uh, I'm staying in the 20s and, or 30s <laughs> uh, I'm Writing a, a biography on Bronco Nagurski right now, so um, oh, cool. yeah, the the um, the family, uh, the oldest son, uh, uh, has always wanted to see his see his dad's story in print, and he liked what I did with the Red Grange. It just came out last year,
1: but
2: uh-huh. uh, so we talked uh, just like you. He, he actually came. He has a a, a granddaughter or a daughter uh, who lives outside of Philadelphia, so he came into the building in March, right before we were sent home, (laughs) he actually was here, you know, like eight or nine days before we were sent home. And, and we talked about the the idea and stuff and and he liked what I thought of of what it could be. And so he's uh, sent me some of the research material, um, because I haven't been able to travel. So, uh, so he's been able to send some of the stuff. So, which is really good. So that's the next project, you know, it's kind of like Dutch. I didn't, plan to write about Bronco you know uh, I was thinking about something else and um, uh, so it just pops up and, and you sort of run with it and I'm, like I said I'm excited about it and you know I'll, I'll, uh, hopefully uh, I think I have to turn it in at the end of next year or October of next year and it'll come out in 2022 so very cool uh, so, very so that's cool. the next the next project on the horizon
0: cool good for you Hey, if you can, if you could uh, email me a picture of maybe three or four sentences about some of the stuff you've done or are doing, and I'll write up a little bio and put you on the website.
2: So email you just like a headshot? Yep, and then that's all I need, yep. A, a, yep. a bio? Okay. Yeah, yeah that'd short, be great. Short bio. Okay. No, that sounds good. I'll do that tomorrow morning when I get in. So Sounds great. Yeah. yeah um, uh, so so you'll have it, and you don't have to track me down again. Cool, cool. Cool. <laughs> um,
0: and i'll i'll email you the uh the link to the show after i finish editing i got to get sure. the stuff out about the fire and it was yeah, my no. son's my son's apartment building in arlington virginia not my daughter's dorm
2: room thank god uh, okay so there you go well he wasn't there is it just i don't not, know his...
0: i'm i'm going to find out after okay. uh, after i hang up so
2: <laughs> all right yeah life life yeah. No, never never a dull moment so. no
0: especially this year
2: Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Chris, again,
0: thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Warren. Anytime. All right, we'll talk to you. Bye. Bye.